0: This episode has a content warning for discussion of suicide, suicidal ideation, and mental abuse. Please take care when listening. Picture it 1980 something Florida. A teenage girl who was raised Pentecostal, who every Sunday morning would spend hours going back and forth to the bathroom because everything in her stomach melted to liquid, boiled by turmoil. Sunday school was fine sometimes frustrating because of all the questions that she asked. One Sunday morning, her teacher, exasperated by an onslaught of questions, told her, curiosity killed the cat, young lady, to which she replied, there aren't any cats in the Bible. That teenage girl was me. And unlike Sophia Petrullo, my stories don't include handsome men or even Winston Churchill, just lots of religious trauma. On those Sundays, the preaching was very long and very loud, sometimes scary with rants about sin and hell or the book of Revelation or the whore of Babylon or all of the above. Often I was subjected to debate over when we the saints would be raptured before, during, or after the tribulation began. You know, that whole pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib dilemma. And the altar call was terrifying, not because of what happened to people, but because of what I thought might happen to me. I never wanted to fall out. That Southern Pentecostal vernacular for being slain in the spirit so mightily that you pass slap out. I also never wanted to speak in tongues. I never understood how to do it. Like, was I supposed to hear it in my brain and say what I heard? Were my mouth and vocal cords going to be controlled by God? I remember how pastors and evangelists used to get in people's faces, telling those seeking the Holy Ghost just to speak that heavenly language as the Spirit gives you the utterance. Like, dude, I read that part too. But in the words of Brother Boy from Sword of Lives, it ain't a workin'. I was thought I spoke in tongues. I came home from youth camp and told my parents, who were so proud. But later, my mother used my newly elevated Christian status of saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit in an argument with my dad because he was frustrated with the church. Then came the next altar call, that next Sunday back at home. My family always went to churches that were smaller congregations, So I couldn't get lost in the crowd when it came time to talk about how amazing youth camp was. But I do remember practically running to the altar so I could give this new gift a chance to shine. (laughs) So the music was going, I was praying, and then I was crying, and then my lower jaw did that shuddering thing. That's the only way I know how to describe it. If you grew up Pentecostal, you know, if not, lucky fucking you. So I waited, and then I decided I would start making some sound to go with that Holy Spirit shudder song question mark, but nothing happened. My young brain did all kinds of justification and mental gymnastics, but I felt like a fake, and I think this is the point where I began. That feeling deep down that something was wrong, that it was a simulacrum, A copy of a copy that was made up in the first place. And I think my little body could feel it. Looking back, I remember that I loved the youth camp that my denomination had every summer. But every year on the morning we were leaving, I had those same Sunday morning tummy troubles, but exponentially worse. I didn't know why this always happened. I mean, I was terrified to go but I also knew it was the only place where everyone knew. We knew we were different. After the nightly church service, there would be a talent show with musical acts and maybe some comedy. I think it was the only place I could laugh about the unsettling, idiosyncratic specifics of being raised Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. Because I was laughing with everyone and not being laughed at because I went to a weird church. We didn't have to pretend to be normal. We were all charismatic weirdos, our bodies taking on the trauma that would haunt us for years. So fast forward. A few months ago, my partner and I went to a ska show with our friend Aaron, who you were about to meet. The first band goes on, and it's one of the three bands that I don't know, so I wasn't paying super close attention to the music or really anything else. I had a nice half-gummy happy going when someone bumped into me. I turn around to see that I have been bumped by a large man who was doing this dance that made my whole body go immediately, no. As I am standing there, I see more people joining a circle doing a similar kind of dance move, something I would later learn is called ska skanking. I didn't get to go to secular concerts as a kid, so this was new for me. Then I see someone get pushed out of the crowd only to realize that it's my partner, a ska show veteran, if you will, who is catching people and pushing them back into the tangle of what looks like to me a Pentecostal church service of my youth. Now at these services, we had what you call catchers who during altar calls would try to make sure that people did not physically harm themselves as the spirit moved upon them and they fell slap out. And before you say it, I know, I know we didn't know what catchers were and we can leave it at that. Maybe some of us knew what catchers were. But back at the ska show, as soon as my brain caught up with my body, I found the exit. I left the venue, ironically named hell, and went to sit outside. I told Aaron, who incidentally did not have the same overwhelming sense of panic that I did, that I was freaking out and I was going outside. So I sat there surrounded by sweet-smelling, mind-numbing clouds, and I thought to myself, what the fuck just happened? I am at a fucking ska show minding my own fucking business when, bam, I am bumped. I freak out and the music changes, at least in my own inner soundtrack, and suddenly Simon and Garfunkel are in my head. Sound of silence. Hello, trauma, my old friend. And yes, I know it's darkness, but when humor is one of your favorite coping mechanisms, you rewrite song lyrics to fit a particular trauma scenario all the time. Stay tuned for my upcoming LP but I digress. Let me say, I like ska shows, especially the bands we saw. We Are the Union and Cat Bite. I mean, if this is your thing, go check them out. These bands, as well as the crowds, are super friendly and super queer, and the music is so good. Even the guy who bumped me, super nice guy. So why was I triggered? I have no idea. All I know is that when I saw the skanking, it looked like an altar call in really bad drag, and all of my Pentecostal complex PTSD came roaring back like a fucking freight train. I have heard for years, I have read, experienced, trauma sits in our bodies. If you are someone who was part of a high-demand religion, There are landmines everywhere and there is no amount of time that can pass that guarantees that you won't actually step on one. So the healing continues. Some of us get triggered at ska shows and some of us love them like Erin who has plans for when her father calls her to his deathbed to lean down and whisper in his ear. That growing up Pentecostal made her a ska fan in her adulthood. And we have each other with whom we get to share our stories, cry, rage, laugh, and heal. My name is Reed Stevenson, and you are listening to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast. Hey. Hello friends, Uh, my name is Reed. Welcome to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast, where I talk with friends, colleagues, really, really lovely people about what it was like being in institutional Christianity, and then not, and where uh, most of us have landed are under the category of witch. So I am here today with my dear friend, the brilliant goddess Erin Johnson for a conversation. And Erin, I would like for you just introduce yourself.
1: Yeah. So I am Erin Johnson. I am <clears throat> 35 years old. I am a fat white queer lady. I think the favorite, my favorite way that I've ever been described was one of my best friends, Jack, who I met in college, described me as a peace driven person. Mm. And yeah, I think I am, I am, I am a very peace driven person. As I've gotten older, I've learned not to let that make me a conflict avoidant person which has been a journey, but yeah, I'm deeply curious. I love asking questions and knowing things. I am always the person in the group that if we don't know something, I'm going to find it out. Just give me a second with my phone and the Google machine. And I've turned that into a career. I am a sociologist and public health professional whose career has focused on researching the way that stigma affects access to healthcare and other health resources And right now I'm working on a dissertation about abortion funds as a social movement and specifically looking at how they are changing in response to some of the recent legislation in the United States about abortion. Wow, so you're not busy at all? Not at all.
0: (laughs) And in case we hear from him, please introduce your child.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. Watson is my sweet baby dog. He is an eight year old terrier mix. He is a 10 pound dog with 50 pounds of personality, (laughs) a little scruffy black gremlin, but I love him. And this, and,
0: and for those of you who watch drag race, please know that if Watson was ever in, in drag race, like if there was drag race for dogs, (laughs) Watson would win.
1: Watson would absolutely win Drag Race. He has the soul of a very grumpy old gay man, and I love him. Yes,
0: we all love Watson. We do. Okay, thank you for introducing yourself. So, Aaron, I know from talking to you many, many times and commiserating that you grew up in a Pentecostal denomination. So do you want to, will you please tell us about your upbringing?
1: Yeah, so I was born to an Assemblies of God pastor um, in the, you know, Southern United States. I grew up mostly in Oklahoma. And my, it's so funny because growing up, I think my parents positioned themselves as like Like more liberal than their social set. Like they thought themselves very progressive because I was allowed to cut my hair. I was allowed to wear pants and shorts. I did eventually get my ears pierced when I was 16. My dad really prayed about it and finally decided that that was okay. Talked to some of his minister friends. You know, we went to the movies. My parents did not take us bowling or skating because they didn't really know how to bowl or skate because they hadn't been allowed to do such unholy things when they were children. But if we had friends who wanted to go, we were allowed to go with them. You know, we went swimming in mixed groups. Uh, We did, I know we did all sorts of crazy things. My dad tells a great story about my grandmother, his mother, going to the movies for the first time. So... Growing up, my parents were not allowed to go to the movies and their parents had never been to a movie theater. And when my older brother was little, they were going to take him to the movies and wanted my grandparents to come along for like, you know, his first experience in the big theater. And so (laughs) my child looks over at my grandmother in the middle of the movie and she is like head down, eyes closed, praying in her seat. Oh my God. And stays like that the whole time. And so they get out of the theater and my dad's like, mom, you didn't watch the movie. What were you doing? And she goes, well, John, I was praying that the Lord didn't come back because if he did, he wasn't coming in that movie theater to get us. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So for people who
0: are like, what the hell? So Aaron grew up Assemblies of God. I grew up Church of God, which is, they're pretty close. I, I think yeah, they were the like, same thing, but then like people split. Were split. Like m- money
1: or? The color of the carpet, the hymnal, who knows?
0: Yeah. Oh, the <laughs> hymnal. You didn't use the Redback hymnal. No. Okay. So Church of God did. So yeah. that must have been it, the unholy hymnal. <laughs> But yeah, and so once upon a time, and even to this day, there are some people in these Pentecostal denominations that don't that don't wear pants, they don't wear makeup, they don't cut their hair, they don't wear, they don't wear jewelry, they don't go to movies, they sure as hell don't don't dance because dancing leads to or they don't have premarital sex. How does that joke go? You don't have premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> the worst sin. And then of course the rapture. Uh, we don't have time to go into the rapture here. If you don't know what the rapture is, congratulations. You you made it through your childhood unscathed. You can Google it. It is as crazy as it sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just left
1: think behind that. movies. You'll be fine.
0: Or don't. <laughs>
1: Or if you're
0: like really into, we have a friend, I haven't told you this yet, Erin, or maybe I did, but we have a friend, Erin and I, her name is Betsy, who loves watching these horrible, horrible Christian movies, including the rapture movies. And she has created what she calls the category of crapture. Oh, nice. Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. We're going to have to, Betsy McGeorge calling you out. We need to have, we need to talk to you about your crapshire movie category obsession, but yeah, just Google that. Did you ever watch, I'm going to bring us back to topic, but I'm just curious. Did you ever, were you ever subjected
1: to a thief in the night? No, I think I was a little too young for that.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm 15 plus years older than you. So in the seventies. There were evangelists who would come, and you would come back on a Sunday night, a Sunday night. So, like you, it just hit me, like as a kid who had trouble sleeping all the time. (laughs) Watch that fucking movie, A Thief in the Night, where the dog dies. The dog dies, and so it was probably Satan's dog. Yeah, I. I didn't watch any of the Left Behind movies. I did read the first Left Behind book, but because of the fucking trauma from that goddamn movie, it's still with me. I I still see the scene where like the dog is alive and its paws like clawing to get out of the car. Oh no! And, and then the dog goes limp. Yeah. Hi, oh. childhood trauma. Yes, we're still talking about it. Anyway, so very very different way of growing up in the world so you're the daughter of an yeah. assembly's god pa- pastor
1: yes so A very very woman. different way of growing up in the world but you know growing up growing up however you grow up you kind of assume that it's normal mm-hmm. you know you assume that like this is the way maybe not this is the way that all people live like I knew that my friends at school and even some of my friends at church did not live like this but like my dad was a pastor he had a master's degree like surely if anyone was going to know the right way to live it was my parents right. <laughs> and so yeah my parents portrayed themselves and and i believe i saw them as like carving out this very reasoned place where they did have these, you know, they were very good Christians and they were very holy people and they had very high standards and they were very strict parents, but also like they weren't crazy about it. They let us do things and uh, we went to normal school. We weren't homeschooled and, you know, yeah. So I, I thought it was all very reasonable for a very long time and i i bought into it like i was the best little I was the best little christian kid in the whole world i took my bible to school i started bible studies in middle school like you know at at the school i didn't in high school because i was in marching band and i just didn't have time for it Uh, I went on mission trips as a teenager, I wanted to be a medical missionary, I wanted to go to medical school and then go work in Africa and save people's lives and souls at the same time. Um, Yeah, like I was, I was fully bought in saving my first kiss for marriage kind of thing. So that was, yeah, that was my upbringing. And then of course, I went to a secular university for college. And Uh, developed a mental health condition, and it all came tumbling down. (laughs) Wow. Do
0: you want to talk about that, Erin?
1: Yeah. So I, it's so funny because there are so many things that are kind of tied in together, and it's hard to, it's hard to ever tell people about one part of my life without like, just trauma dumping on them because it all feels so deeply interconnected to me. But well, I,
0: think- I, 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 I don't want you to feel like you're trauma dumping here. Like we are sharing stories so people can know, Hey, oh, I yeah. want to you. So Absolutely. I just, um, I saw your body language change. And because I know you, I'm like, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> you're not trauma dumping. <laughs>
1: um, I think it's also just like a really hard, you know, it's a really hard part of, yeah. Of all of the things that have happened to me in my life, of all the things that I've done, I think thinking about my undergraduate years is the most difficult because it was such a time of, of uncertainty and confusion. Like that was the time that I really didn't know if I was going to make it. So there was like the dumbest inciting incident ever. I had gone to college and my parents had really, really kept like a tight leash on me, even being, you know, two and a half hours away from home, living in the dorms. Like they expected me to answer my phone all the time, multiple times per day, no matter where it was. They wanted to know where I was at all times. They wanted to know that I was back in my dorm before dark. They Had they insisted that they had to have my email and social media passwords? Initially, they just didn't want me to have social media, but then I started a Facebook account anyway because Facebook was new and big and it was the way to know what was happening on campus. And you know, they were, and I thought initially, like, oh, they just have my password for convenience in case anything ever happens. And then I eventually learned that no, they were actually like coming in and reading all of my emails every day, all of my social media messages. So for someone living away from the house, I really had very little privacy and was feeling very pressured. And then there was this weird incident over Christmas. As I said, I was in the marching band. So we had gone to our relative's house in another town to celebrate Christmas and come back. And my brother and I were having to like, get ready very quickly to leave that night for a bowl game, like a football game trip. And I had thought we were coming back earlier, so I hadn't packed, so I'm, like, rushing to pack, and, you know, packing for a marching band trip is complicated. There are a lot of bits and pieces that you've got to make sure that you have.
0: Especially in a bowl Uh, game, like, you're not going to be able to march if you don't have your shit.
1: Yeah, like, we were going to Arizona, I think, so it wasn't like I could, you know, run back to the dorm and get whatever I needed, so yeah, like I'm feeling stressed and my dad has always really had a temper and he just was so irritated that I was not like packed and ready to go. And, you know, kept coming in and wanting to know if I was ready yet, wanting to know if I was done, wanting to know when I was going to be done, which is not helping me with the packing process at all. And he goes out to move my car And at some point over the break, I had gone to like a youth group event because I was back in town and my former youth pastor had like handed me a bag of leftover candy and I had just tucked it under the seat of the car and was going to take it with me on the bowl trip because we were taking a bus to Arizona (laughs) and I wanted to have snacks. And my weight has always been like a weird, difficult issue between me and my parents. And at this point, I think I was like a size 10, so I wasn't even that big, but you know, I wasn't the size six that they wanted me to be. Okay. So my dad, as a therapist later put it, acted like that bag of candy was a bag of weed. Like he came storming into my room, screaming about me hiding food in my car and just let loose. So now he's like standing over me screaming while I am kneeling in the floor of my bedroom trying to pack this bag. And I mean, I think I cried the entire way back to school, like the entire two hour drive. So the next day I get on a bus and my friend asks me how my break was. Mm. And I just like word vomit about this experience that I had. And it was the first time that I'd ever talked to people about my parents' strictness, about my dad's anger. I say that. It was the first time I'd ever talked to somebody who was not also involved in the situation. I talked to my youth pastor about it, but like my dad was my youth pastor's boss. So he had he had seen him in his less loving moments. And so looking back I can see where I was already prone to anxiety looking Mm. back I can see I can see early glimpses in my high school years of what would eventually become panic attacks of what would eventually become the kind of anxiety that like edges you into numbness and depression but realizing that I had grown up in an emotionally abusive home was really the thing that I mean just shook my world because I'd always believed so strongly that my parents were right and that they were raising us the best way that a child could be raised and if I'd been wrong about this what else could I be wrong about Mm. um and so yeah I start I things got a lot worse. I started having like actual full blown panic attacks, although it took me several years to figure out what they were. I, you know, over the course of really over the course of about the next six months after that, I, I became so anxious and depressed that I was, you know, dealing with suicidal ideation. I was dealing with self-harm. Um, I tried to tell my parents that I was struggling and that I needed, like that I needed help in a really serious way. And they treated it like a moral feeling. Like they, I I really think that they're still convinced that I was drinking or using drugs and that was the real problem. And so they they responded. I was not, to be very clear, I never drank until like well after I was 21. I never used illicit substances until I was in my like late 20s. So. Yeah, it was just it was a bad time. It couldn't be. It couldn't be home. It couldn't be home. It couldn't be them. Right. They also were very convinced that they were the best possible people raising me in the best possible way. That's where I had gotten that belief from. Mm. So, yeah, eventually, mostly through. The grace of some really wonderful professors in my undergraduate institution, I found my way to therapy. And after some time in therapy, through the grace of that really wonderful therapist, I found my way to Zoloft, our Lord and Savior. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I finished undergrad and I went to grad school in another state, and things got a lot better. But that was also really the first crack in the wall of my faith. Mm. And this is where it gets into that. Like everything is so intertwined yeah. (laughs) because you know, a like so much of my belief about my parents' rightness was founded in their faith Mm -hmm. and in the faith that they had raised me with. And so realizing that actually, They had been mistreating me this whole time, made me go, wait a second. Like, how is that godly? How is that holy? How is that, you know, like living up to all of these standards that we talk about? And then, you know, I was super involved in the campus ministry affiliated with my dad's denomination and, you know, worked part-time as an administrative assistant for the like state director of that ministry for a while and was like yeah was like president of our campus chapter the year before I had a nervous breakdown and almost failed out of college like I was I had drunk the kool-aid I was fully bought in mm. and I remember no,
0: like you did. And I mean, I just want to reiterate that because like your vulnerability in the way that you're going through this and thinking, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Until, you know,
1: yeah, this was the only thing I had ever known. This was supposed to be the safest place in the world for me. Yes. And
0: we're taught that like, we were taught that like the world wanted to kill you yes the,
1: the world was
0: evil and wanted to kill you satan That's is out to there fear, kill like and destroy uh, yeah,
1: yeah 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 and what actually happened was you know i'm i was in crisis i was i was struggling with my mental health i had to i remember sitting in my campus pastor's office like. I went through this period, spring of my, of my junior year, where for like three or four months, I could not sleep more than four hours at a time. And even at, you know, 20, 21 years old, like that is not a lot of sleep. And I was Working 20 or 30 hours a week. I was taking a full course load. I was trying to get ready to take the MCAT. And like, I just wanted to sleep and I couldn't. I could not get any good sleep. And I spent so much time just like tossing and turning in bed. And my, I remember like sitting in my campus pastor's office and trying to tell him, like, how distressed I was, and the only thing he could offer me was, would you like me to pray for you?. Ooh. And at that point, I was like, I have been praying. I need an adult to give me some help. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And, you know, the only thing that the people that the adults around me could offer was was more of the same and I yeah I just I went through this period you know I went through like a six-month period where I just couldn't get out of bed I wasn't going to classes I eventually had to drop out of an entire semester for medical reasons and you know I stopped showing up to things and realizing that like, I had been putting my heart and my soul and all of my spare time into building this quote unquote ministry. And like, I didn't even have any friends who were close enough that when I stopped coming to things, they reached out to me. Mm. Like the campus pastor reached out to me to be like, Hey, are you okay? I haven't seen you in a while, but none of the other students reached out to me because we weren't we weren't really encouraged to like build relationships with each other. We were encouraged to go out and build relationships with the sinners on campus to bring them to join the campus ministry. Ooh. So yeah, I had another kind of clarifying moment where I had you know how mental health is, like you have your good days and your bad days and I'd had a good day and i went to an event that this campus ministry was hosting and i'm you know i'm feeling good about myself i'm like i'm at church i'm doing good i'm going to feel better now and there was a guest speaker and he i don't remember how he got led into this but he basically described exactly how i had been feeling just like the numbness the emptiness the stuckness the despair And then he said, if you ever feel like that, you better get yourself to a Bible study and just say the Lord's prayer over and over again until you feel better. And it was like the bottom dropped out of my soul because I had been leading Bible study. Yeah. I had been going to the like 7 a.m. prayer meeting.
0: Doing everything you can to see yes. the person that everyone's like oh you should have like if you do these things
1: yes then you'll be fine like okay. that's what they tell you to do to fix it and I was doing all of that and I felt like I was dead inside I felt like I'd already died and my body was just waiting to catch up um, so that was basically the last time that I went to church
0: <laughs> okay
1: I did develop of, of your
0: own of your own
1: accord Of my own accord. Yes. I I have been, I've been taken to church a few times, (laughs) but the last time that I, that I willingly went to church, I did develop a lovely ritual in my, so after I, I had this period where I just stopped functioning and had to drop out, I had a summer plus about a month beforehand where I worked a full-time evening shift job at a hospital in a hospital lab and a part-time evening shift job at a hotel as a front desk clerk on the weekends. So I had, you know, like three or four months where I worked seven, eight hour shifts a week. And I had gone from like, I can't get out of bed. I can't go to class to that with like no medication, no therapy just sheer like if I don't do something to give myself some space for my parents I'm going to kill myself
0: (laughs) so that's why you were working yes so you wouldn't be
1: at home not even at home because I was still living in an apartment near campus it was just if I was paying for things my parents couldn't tell me how to spend my money or what to do with my life okay So yeah, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna work and I'm gonna stay alive and we'll see what happens. And so at some point I went, you know, instead of working seven, eight hour shifts a week, maybe I could work five, eight hour shifts a week and like take a three hour course and like eventually finish this degree. Cause I was I was like a year away from graduation when I stopped functioning, you know, so I was I was maybe 30 credits away and I was like, even if I even if I only took one credit every semester, including summers, like I would eventually get finished. Um so yeah, I went back and I took one credit or one class that first semester and then I think the next semester I took two and, chipped away at it and it took me I think it took me two years of yeah two years of working full time and going to school part-time to get that that final year worth of credits done I I don't think I knew that but yeah I eventually I did it and during that period my parents of course continued to call me every Sunday and ask me about how church was that morning Mm. And so I developed this lovely ritual for myself of driving to a local megachurch because I knew that, well, yeah, driving to a local mega, mega church, parking my car, sitting in the car and having a panic attack. And then once I saw people coming out of the church and knew that service was over, I would just drive home. Wow. So. I told my parents I was going to that church for two years and never actually went in the front door. (laughs) Wow. Because Because I just didn't make
0: myself. Well, and in a mega church, like, who knows if you were there or
1: if you weren't there. Exactly. And they had, you know, they had stuff posted online where I could learn enough about like what they were, you know, I'd been in church a while, like I could write a sermon. Right, <laughs> so I could learn enough about what they were talking about to like come up with a good story for my parents about what had happened at church that day, but yeah, no, I spent all of my Sunday mornings like gearing myself up to do this thing, having a panic attack, and not doing it. Um, mm. and I can,
0: like, just your story is. It's so heartbreaking, but also the way that you're like, this is how I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Like just is a testament to how brilliant and strong you are, but like, I think that's one of the things that people who have never experienced high demand religion just can't understand is that constant someone it's. You're a sociologist, it's the Panopticon. <laughs> it is yeah you know, people observing and monitoring everything that you do. Oh and then like like you, you you aren't allowed to have a private life. And even whenever you think about you know how we were raised, where like God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Like mm-hmm. I think I got those right. You did, but- Okay. Hey, look at me. But, but like, you don't even have the privacy in your own brain. Absolutely. Because you think if God knows everything I'm thinking, then like even the smallest thought
1: Mm -hmm. can
0: be something that can give you such terror. Yeah. Because here's this loving God making scare quotes who loves you so much that if your thoughts stray one second, bam, like yeah. hell.
1: Yes. What if God does come back? What if the rapture does happen in that moment when you have that impure thought? Yeah. I used to cry myself to
0: sleep at night, Aaron. Yeah. I had panic attacks about the rapture into my late thirties. Yeah. I mean, you wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, okay are my parents here
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know I I remember a a certain moment where my mom didn't pick me up from school in middle school and I get home and there's no one home and I and so like it's before the days of cell phones I can't call my mom and I remember in that from that goddamn movie thief in the night Mm -hmm. that Or maybe it was another horrible Crapture movie, but like, did you ever hear that if the rapture took place, that that all the pages of the Bible would be blank? No. Oh my god. Uh, Yeah. So my fail safe is I would find a Bible and open the Bible, and if there were still words in the Bible, then then the rapture hadn't taken place. My parents were probably just dead. Speaking in tongues. Yeah. What? Speaking in tongues?
1: Yeah. Yeah because if you okay. speak in tongues then the holy spirit is still here and if the holy spirit is still here then the rapture hasn't happened yet. Jesus I never heard that. But
0: I never spoke I I never spoke in tongues. I thought once I did and I was like I don't think I you know when I came home from youth camp because everyone speaks in tongues at youth camp. Yeah. and especially on the cry night the big cry yes. night. But like looking back I'm realizing I was just kind of saying what everyone was saying around me. And then,, you know, anyway, never yeah. spoke in tongues, so that wasn't my thing. But, like, you did.
1: I did. I was a mystic, even as like a little Pentecostal baby. Like, I spoke in tongues. I had visions. I gave prophecies, like, yeah, yeah. the the was that ever problematic you giving prophecy, oh, no, My dad hated it. Like, I got multiple stern talks about. I don't know like he never like came out and said you're a teenage girl and you shouldn't be doing this but he definitely talked around the idea that like as a teenage girl maybe I wasn't wise enough to be sharing these things that God was sharing with me okay okay
0: yeah you're gonna write it in your journal you're you're that's what you're gonna do you're just (laughs) gonna write it in your journal just between you and the lord
1: exactly but like so i had a friend in youth group who had really bad problems with her periods and one summer we were at camp and she had had her period for like three months yeah just like bleeding all the time and her parents were divorced she lived with her mom Her dad had done the like shitty dad thing of, you know, going off and getting married again. And like, that was his family now. And he just, you know, he was always behind on child support. He didn't really see her. And so her mom was seriously mentally ill and living on disability. And they just, I mean, she didn't have health insurance. They never had any money. And so she hadn't seen a doctor. She'd been bleeding for three months and hadn't been able to go see a doctor because they just could not afford it. Yeah, teenage girl. Okay. And so we're at camp and we're all praying for her to be healed of whatever is going on. And I, I just knew like, your period is going to stop tonight. I don't know if it's going to stop forever, but your period is going to stop tonight. And I told her and she was like, I am going to sleep without a pad as an act of faith. First time in three months, she slept without a pad on. And sure enough, she woke up in the morning, clean, no bleeding. Wow. And it wasn't, I think, like, it stopped for a few days and then it started again. But that was the first break she'd had in three months. Wow. Um, And after we got back from camp, she found out that her dad had finally agreed to put her on his health insurance so that she could go to the doctor and they I don't know if they put her on birth control or they did some scans but they figured out that everything was okay but you knew but I knew and after that I was like how can I not tell people like <laughs> this is the real thing that's happening like I have this thing let me help you yeah So yeah, I didn't, I didn't listen to my dad and his insistence that I wasn't wise enough to handle the gift of prophecy.
0: Knowing you and knowing your childhood, you were probably wise enough at five, you know, (laughs) Aaron is the one that is like observant of everything in the room and will, if we don't know something, Google it. Yes. Sometimes we don't want to know what you Googled. It's true. But Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to
1: know all the things about the world, good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. So that I can prepare for the bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yes. We'll just
0: leave it at that. (laughs) I have lived with you. Yes. We'll just live it. We'll leave it at that. So, so what comes next? Like, you're, you know, you've, you stopped going to church. We realize like you realize now looking back at some of these moments, like I've got this connection. Yes. To the divine. Yeah. It might not look like the divine you thought.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because I was also always really fascinated by the idea of divination. Like I remember sneaking the part of the Sunday paper that had uh, horoscopes in it mm-hmm. so that I could read my horoscope every week. which was very simple like oh my god but I don't know it just it just was so attractive I loved the idea of tarot so it was definitely something that I was like kind of playing with the idea of for a long time but man I had to walk a really long way before I actually got to before I like really finally quit Christianity and picked up other practices.
0: And so. that, that is something too, that I I want to pause. Like you said, you had to walk a really long way before giving up Christianity. I think one of the things many people misunderstand who are like really critical of deconstruction, like people deconstructing, deconstructing their upbringing. It's not because we didn't fucking try. Yeah it is not because we didn't try. Like, I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't believe in hell. I don't know, but like growing up, like that was always sitting on your shoulder. There was always the, the panopticon, the observation, like God knows your thoughts. And so like trying so hard until you realize, and in your case, I don't want to put words in your mouth so if this is not right for you but like you had to walk away from Christianity
1: or it was going to kill you. It I was literally just thinking that like I was some combination of trauma and brain chemistry mean that when I am not on my medication I I am just constantly thinking about dying. Mm-hmm. And Christianity especially the brand of Christianity that I was in offered me no quarter in terms of my mental health. Like my parents did not believe that I needed mental health care. Really, I'm not sure that they believe that like anyone needs mental health care, (laughs) Um, especially the kind that, you know, maybe some like like, relationship counseling or like people who've quote unquote really been abused might need some help getting over that. But Mm -hmm. like mostly you should just pray about it. Um, and God, I prayed so hard. I prayed so hard and yeah, I just, I needed, I needed some store-bought serotonin. (laughs) It was never going to work. So yeah, I, I graduated. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia to get a master's degree in public health and I continued learning things about myself. So I, growing up, I grew up in purity culture. I grew up at like the height of the purity balls, purity rings, Mm. you know. Oh God, what was that fucking book?
0: I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yes, yes. No longer believes
1: that, but that's another conversation for another day. I grew up in the midst of that. And I was really good at purity culture. Like, I never had impure thoughts about boys. I... I remember being in like sixth grade and all of my friends had started getting crushes and they're talking about who they liked. And so I just like picked a boy kind of at random to say that I had a crush on because I was like, it just wasn't happening for me. And then I forgot who I had told my friends I had a crush on. And so later they were like teasing me about this boy. And I was so confused. Oh gosh. And then I remembered like, oh, right. I am supposed to have a crush on him. But like uh, Jan
0: Brady's George Glass. Say again. Jan Brady's George Glass.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And okay, you do know that. I was like, I forgot millennial Gen X. I hope that translates. It doesn't, but
1: I, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere out there,
0: there is a millennial or not a millennial and X are going, yes, George Glass, Jan <laughs> Brady. George <laughs> Glass didn't exist.
1: Okay, there we go. Yes. yeah. instead of making up a boyfriend in Canada, yes, that was my generation's version of that, I just picked a boy at random and decided that that was the object of my affections. Yeah. So I had I had started I had started playing with the idea of a more liberal Christianity in undergrad. I read um Shane Claiborne's book um the ordinary radical so
0: revolution or ir- irresistible revolution yes
1: irresistible yeah. revolution yes That's i heard irresistible yeah. revolution i like picked it kind of at random off of a bookshelf my sophomore year of college on yet another marching band trip because <laughs> when you're in marching band your whole life revolves around being in marching band yes and I mean, that it really was a revolution for me, a revelation for me. You know, this idea of living into the ideas of love and grace that we see in the gospel and living into the ideals of of non-materialism and, you know, like being in the trenches with the most vulnerable people in our society like be living in solidarity with them so I had read that and I was you know again like college was this incredibly confusing and uncertain time for me and so at the same time that I am reckoning with the version of Christianity that I that I'd grown up with I was also realizing that there was this other version of Christianity out there that maybe I could practice instead of what I'd grown up with so i had tried to go to like some methodist churches i think because that was about as liberal as i could handle being at the time and so I started my graduate program again like kind of played with the idea of going to a Methodist church but I kept I kept noticing that I was really heavily surrounded by women. Mm-hmm. So public health is a very I mean it's a helping profession and like any helping profession like it is very very heavily skewed female. And so this was really the first time that I'd been in a, in a setting that, that was that gender skewed, that wasn't also a church setting. Mm. And I was just, I found myself being aware of the women around me in a way that I hadn't really ever been before, or that I had never really noticed before. And maybe it was because, you know, I just finally kind of had the space to notice it. Um, But... Yeah, I there were actually three men in our program, like in my department, in my cohort. And like maybe a month into school, I realized that like all of the other girls that I was hanging out with knew who those boys were, what their class schedule was, whether or not they had girlfriends, (laughs) like knew everything about them. And I was literally like, oh, I didn't realize that there were guys in this department. So, driving home from Atlanta back to Oklahoma, my first year of grad school, I pulled over in the middle of nowhere in Alabama and had a very t- stern talk with myself about how I wasn't gay. Mm. I was just being dramatic. And then...
0: Have you heard, had you heard that before? You were just being dramatic?
1: Not a ton. I was not a very dramatic child. Okay. <laughs> I was a very quiet, very level-headed child, because I had to be, because my dad took up all of the space for drama in our family. (laughs) Okay. I guess I had heard it in terms of my anxiety. Okay. Like, I always, I always had something to worry about. And so I was telling myself, like, this is just you finding something else to worry about. Mm. And then a few days later, I was reading, like, a story online. And the main character thought to himself that he was 24, single and queerer than he was really comfortable with. And I shut my laptop and just burst into tears because that was me. I was 24, I was single and it was queer than I was really comfortable with. Wow. And that was my coming out to myself. And I think the good thing about, I think I really, I think that I had protected myself subconsciously from Mm -hmm. understanding my own queerness, because if I had had that realization on top of all of the other realizations on undergrad that I had in undergrad, I wouldn't have survived. But the great thing was I had already been through a major life crisis and I was like, Okay, I know how to handle this. <laughs> so I got back in therapy. and I got back on medication, and I, I knew that I had to find a way to hold on to my belief. Maybe not like the same beliefs that I had, but like I had to I had to find a way to maintain my identity as a Christian because, you know, that had been a thing that had gotten me through. Even as that identity shifted, it had been something that got me through undergrad and it was still so core to who I was that it was too much change to let go of that and embrace this other thing at the same time. So I started going to a UCC church with a queer pastor and it was life-saving, like it really was. That community was so kind and so loving to me Um, and just like, believed in me so hard. Mm. Like if there is the heaven of my childhood where we all get stars in our crowns for all of the good shit that we did. Oh, like <laughs> those people at those church at that church will have big old fucking stars in their crown for the way that they treated me. Um so yeah, I was a liberal christian and I was a queer lady and I was figuring my shit out and I graduated from my master's program and uh much more liberal than I'd gone in. I am like the poster child story of why you don't send your kids to secular (laughs) university. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah 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 i I might secretly be in a shitty Christian movie <laughs> 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 It could still end tragically at any time, and you know <laughs> so
0: <No. laughs> no. you, you, you've been in too many other movies now, my friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so I finished my graduate degree and I moved to washington d c to take a job and I just, I never, I tried several churches, and I just never found that same kind of community that I'd had in Atlanta. Um, But I missed having a spiritual practice. I missed having some kind of connection to the divine. And I was also really struggling to, like, read the Bible, you know? Like, it just wasn't It just wasn't working. Like I'd never really felt like I got a ton out of reading scripture, but it was like what you were supposed to do. So I tried to make it work. Right, Um, like
0: four a.m. and have your private time with the Lord.
1: Exactly. Quiet
0: time. Sorry, quiet quiet
1: time. Yes, quiet time is super important. Um, And like I grew up with a genuine quiet time hero. Like my mother got out of bed every morning at five a.m she had the coffee pot set up to go off and like have coffee ready for her. And she sat in her rocking chair and read her Bible and prayed and drank coffee. So, and she read the Bible through every year, like faithfully read the Bible all the way through. Read the Bible through so many times that she got bored with the way that she was reading the Bible all the way through and had to start finding other read the bible all the way through in a year program
0: (laughs) okay that is a private time a a quiet time championship yeah I don't know why I'm a quiet time champion
1: yes so I had always felt very guilty about the fact that I could not get up at 5 a.m and like power through six chapters of Genesis (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let alone Leviticus numbers,
0: Deuteronomy, like things pick up speed, but like right. numbers, numbers too, but Leviticus, yeah.
1: Leviticus. Yeah. And so, you know, I try, I, I had found different ways over the years of like having quiet time. I, I bought Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals, which is another Shane Claiborne book mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of is his take on the 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 hours the daily yeah I'm like the daily office thank you the daily office
0: I speak that Um, language too yes
1: but I yeah I just wasn't connecting anymore and so I had a friend in from out of town she wasn't there to see me she was there to see her parents who lived in in DC at Christmas and I knew she had some witchy practices and I was like hey I really want to buy a tarot deck I've been looking online I just haven't found anything that clicks I am afraid to go to a witchy store by myself (laughs) will you take me to a witchy store so that I can buy a tarot deck and she did because she's the sweetest person alive and she didn't tease me about being afraid to go for the first time by myself um she was actually really excited. She was like, Oh my gosh, I love that I get to be part of this for you. And so we went to this store and like, I had looked, I had read blogs about how to find your first tarot deck. I had looked at so many tarot decks online and you do like just nothing had clicked as like, Oh, this is my deck. And I pulled this deck off and turned it over and like knew that that was my deck, what deck um, was it? called the Raven's Prophecy and I eventually realized that they tell you a lot of the advice on the blogs when you're looking for your first tarot deck is like oh well you want to look for a deck that that has people in it and I have realized I really struggle to connect with tarot cards that have images of people mm. like it just doesn't work for me And this, this deck, it's this beautiful, like, black background, all of the art has these, like, kind of rainbow auras to it, Um, and she uses this very consistent iconography throughout the deck, like, same symbolic language over and over again and I think that just made it really easy as like a beginner's tarot deck for me to start picking up on the meaning of the cards so yeah that was where I took my like left turn into witchiness Mm -hmm. and for a while I was still very much like oh no I'm a Christian I just have this like you know I just have this tarot reading practice and then I started calling myself a universalist christian witch okay and like leaning harder into the witchy side of things i learned about for a long time i just read tarot and then i learned about like the wheel of the year and celebrating you know the solstices and the cross quarter days and i started I loved I've always loved the idea of ritual I think it's because I grew up Pentecostal and it's like the least ritual form <laughs> of Christianity yeah in um, and-
0: ritual if you're growing up like in the denominations that we did like the ritual is seen as too Catholic yes and so the worst thing that you can be other than a sinner is a catholic absolutely growing up you know because they just pray to mary i'm making Mm -hmm. scare quotes i know they don't pray to mary like or they don't anyway
1: yeah and the rituals are kind of seen as dead right like it's just people going through the motions is what i grew up with but the thing that really comforted me and the thing that i loved about services at that ucc church was that i wasn't expected to feel anything you know, growing up Pentecostal and especially growing up like kind of behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. I got to the point where I could stand in the back of a service and go, oh, they're going to do a key change here. Yeah. Oh, they're going to slow down. Oh, they're going to change the lighting. Like I knew the moves and I could see how it was all created Mm -hmm. to induce feelings. Yeah. And, you know, especially struggling with my mental health as I was, like, I couldn't trust my feelings anymore. Mm. And, you know, I didn't, I think some of it was that I couldn't trust my feelings. I think some of it was that, like, I just didn't react in predictable ways. Like, everything was so fucked up that, like, I didn't feel the feelings that I was supposed to feel (laughs) with the key change and the and the lighting and the whatever because
0: those those key changes those chords yep I didn't realize this growing up I realized and actually I was just a few months ago whenever it finally clicked oh shit this progression this chord progression is used specifically to manipulate your emotions yes
1: and that's what I was realizing and so going to a church where like they hand you a little bulletin as you walk in and it has everything that's going to be said in the whole service and all you have to do is participate yes I didn't have to feel anything I didn't have to react in a certain way I just had to stand up when I was supposed to stand up sit down when I was supposed to sit down say the words sing the songs listen to the sermon and go home
0: Yeah. And there was was, a moment of quiet in there too. I felt like there was also quiet. So like Pentecostal, like you're, you're saying you can stand, you you could stand at the back and you could, you know, especially when it came to altar call time, Mm -hmm. like things shit was about to go down. Yes. Always. And I just remember sitting there being very uncomfortable, knowing someone's going to speak in tongues. Someone's going to shout, someone's going to whatever. And it felt like chaos. Yes.
1: And this was very much, it was a space of quiet and safety and predictability mm-hmm. where I could just come and be mm-hmm. for an hour every week and not have any expectations. Yeah. And I, that was what I was trying to recreate with my witchy practice. Not the ritual. And so the thing that I think led me further into witchiness was the discovery that I could create my own rituals I could light some candles I could burn some herbs I could write something (laughs) to say for myself and create that same sense of peace and over time it's actually really become an important tool for my mental health like I have I have rituals to like deal with my anxiety I have Rituals to deal with, like when I've had a rough day at my volunteer job, I volunteer with a group that provides advice to people seeking abortion care or like self-managing abortion or just recently having had abortions. Basically, people at any stage of the abortion process who want to come and post and get advice or commiserate with each other on this online forum and, you know, there are days that I get up at five o'clock in the morning and go straight to that that forum to do my volunteer work and answer posts. And it's really heavy, you know, you've got people in really difficult situations who are coming to you and asking for a lifeline. And, and then they often just kind of disappear. Yeah. Like they'll delete their profile, delete all their posts and you never really get to find out what happened. And so I found that like, I have a ritual that I've developed to like let go of those difficult encounters.
0: Can you describe that ritual?
1: Yeah. So I have a white, two seven-day candles, one white and one black. On the black one, because black is for banishing, I write Mm -hmm. all of the things that I want to protect our clients from. So Mm -hmm. stigma, shame, lack, barriers protesters, all of those things. And then on the white candle I write all of the things that I want for them. So safety, plenty, peace, access, all of that. And then I have a plate where I've mixed like rose petals and dried lavender. So Mm -hmm. lavender is, you know, to promote peace, and rose petals are like sanctification and protection and um, if I know the person's name I'll like write their name and burn it in one of the candles but yeah I just I light those candles and I have like a little moment of meditation and then I let them burn until I feel like I've kind of let go of what's happening.
0: Wow that is I didn't that is thank you for sharing that That yeah. is. that is lovely and if I may one of the things that like in hearing you describe that and with the intention and the way that you've used your intuition and the way that it's like the meditation you know the sitting and thinking it's almost like prayer you might consider it you know still prayer I I love the way that you've had these massive episodes of like pain that have ended in liberation and but yet you're still able to incorporate some of what you learned like maybe the good stuff of what you learned growing up with what you're now embracing and creating a ritual that's meaningful for you because I think ultimately that's what's important like you know you and I were joking about how your mom is the quiet time champion but like it never worked for you. It never worked for me. But I bought my, like my witchy practice started with an Oracle deck. I was going through a really, 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 really rough time. Mm-hmm. And I bought this Oracle deck and then started using tarot. And I see, I started using Oracle decks in like 2018. And like, it has been the most consistent spiritual practice in my life because it has been the most meaningful to me mm-hmm. and i find too you know like if you did you ever feel guilty if like days or weeks went by and you didn't read your bible oh okay. yeah yeah mm-hmm. like the shame of coming back to your bible it's like almost before you could pick your bible up you're like mm-hmm. oh i'm really sorry lord i haven't read you know i'm gonna be mm-hmm. better i promise like new start new start And you open it and you're like yep. But when I come back to tarot, because I'm a PhD student, you're a PhD student, yeah. like we're both chronically ill. Like We're both chronically ill. Yeah. I mean, so like the, you know, trauma, religious trauma survivors, some days mm-hmm. like I, you know, and even on, I'm, I'm realizing too, that on the days before I have therapy, it's like, I'm going to do whatever spiritual work I want to do because the work I do with my therapist is shadow work. And mm-hmm. I'm, I just want to take a fucking nap. Yeah. After that, I want to get high and I want to take a nap like, and both at the same time, please. Yes. (laughs) Um, Just so I can, like, I've been in my body. I'm still learning like, okay, I've been in my body. I'm going to just sleep because I'm still in my, in my body, but like coming back to tarot, there's no guilt. Mm -hmm. There's no shame. It's like, and I work with my ancestors, my ancestors know me they you know there's no there's no shame but yeah sometimes those things like still trigger you know like
1: yeah i mean this is yeah. we're recording this on august 3rd i don't know when it will air but you know lugnasse was the first and like it was a tuesday i i've been in like this big push to finish the data collection for my dissertation it was I don't remember if it was the full moon or it was like right before or after the full moon but like I never sleep well right around the full moon. I think the full moon was on the first. Okay so yeah the full moon was on Luke Nasa and like I kind of remembered that it was a cross quarter day (laughs) but I did nothing to celebrate. No not even cheese not even cheese. (laughs) Not even cheese Uh, and I didn't feel bad about it. I was like you know This weekend, you know, Lugnasa is the, is kind of the first of the, the several harvest festivals and it's especially the, like the grain harvest starts coming in around this time. So it's really the big grain harvest festival. It's actually in the Christian calendar. It became Lamas or loaf mass. Mm -hmm. So a mass for the, the grain harvest. So I was like, you know, this weekend I'll clean my house. I'll feed my sourdough starter. I'll mm-hmm. make some bread. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if I have time for like a ritual or a big tarot reading, then I'll do that. Mm-hmm. If I don't, then like, I've, I've I've done it. I've recognized that like the seasons are changing. The energy is changing. I'm living in that energy. And this is what, this is the way that I have time to celebrate it. And that's fine. And it's more than fine.
0: Yeah. You know, it is. Yeah. It is more than, than fine. Erin, there is so much more we could talk about. I, there are some stories that I think that I would really love to share with, with listeners, but lest this become a three hour podcast episode, <laughs> we, if you'll agree to come back and be Absolutely. part of telling stories, more stories. You
1: should totally do an episode about ska and
0: being triggered at ska shows. Because yes, I was triggered at a ska show. Uh, And it's
1: so funny because I, you were triggered. I was not triggered. (laughs) And I think it goes back to that, to that thing about like, I really, you know, to tease Pentecostalism was my first embodied practice. Mm. And
0: that makes so much sense because Pentecostalism was my first one and I hated it.
1: Yeah. And I loved it. Like I loved speaking in tongues. I loved the wild altar calls. Like oh. I loved just being part of that energy. And yeah, that is totally another part of my journey that I'd love to talk to you about sometime.
0: Yes, absolutely. We will do it. Thank you very much, Erin. I know that you can't really talk about the work that you're doing right now because it's part of your dissertation, but I would love for you also to come back and talk about the vitally important work that you are doing around reproductive rights for people who have uteruses. And so I am so grateful that you shared your light here today, like the beautiful goddess that you are. Uh, So thank Thank you. you
1: so much for having me. I'm so honored to be part of this.
0: Thank you for listening to the pastor to high priestess podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, would you please rate, review, and share with your friends and loved ones who may also be deconstructing? It would really help us out. Thank you to my friend, Aaron Johnson, for the amazing conversation. And as always, thank you to Sandra Porter for sharing her song, Glass House, with us. Follow Sandra on Spotify or Apple Music. Friends, take good care and be gentle with yourselves. Healing religious trauma is exhausting. If you are looking for someone to help you along your journey, I'll have links in the show notes as well as on the social media platforms for this podcast. On Instagram, we are at P2HPPod, and on Facebook, we are Pastor to High Priestess Podcast. See you next time.